Tehillim time. So today we're learning uh, once again for the the Elun Shama of Leah Bad Virginia Leah Lily Bad Virginia Mrs. Lily Meddeb Alea Shalom Ruah Hashem Tenihenu Began Eden Amen Today's she would also be studied for the Fuashilman of Fael Ben Leah in the Refanado the Tokshar Hola Amo Israel Amen So we begin today the new chapter. We'll do chapter 68, if you have your Tehidim books in front of you. Uh, this is a chapter that we read on Shavuot. So it is appropriate that we do it at this time of the year, so we will have some understanding of what's going on. So I will make some... Uh, some comments in this chapter that are related to Shavuot. The chapter begins, Lam Naseyach David Mizmorshir. That's the song that David Amelech writes for the conductor, the Beit HaMikdash. And it's Mizmor, obviously, it's a song. The beginning of the chapter mentions how God is going to come and destroy the enemies of Bnei Israel. Yakum Elohim, God will rise up. Yafutsu Oyebav, the enemies of God will scatter. Panav, and the enemies of God will will flee, will run away, will be afraid. Kehindof uh, Ashan, just like the smoke dissipates. Uh, so too, the enemies will dissipate. Tindof, kihimes donag mepineesh, just like um, wax melts in front of the fire. Yovedu reshaim mepinei Elohim. So David is referring either to his personal wars that he fought, and how God brought him to victory. How his enemies dissipated like smoke. How they melted like wax. So this is uh, referring to David's personal. Uh, personal uh, uh, wars that he fought. And some explain it actually that this is referring to before Matan Torah. That uh, before we received the Torah, so the Pasuk says when B'nai Yisrael came out of Mitzrayim, Amalek came. And B'nai Yisrael had to fight Amalek. So as a prerequisite before uh, the Torah was given, this happened. The enemies of God were uh, dissipated. The Sadiqim Yismehu Yaasud Fne Elohim. Of course, when there's victory in the wars, so the Sadiqim rejoice in front of God via Sisu Bismha. Shiru Elohim and David Amelik says, Sing to God Zamiru Shemo, praise his name, Solu Laruchev Baarabot, sing praise to the God that lives in the higher heavens. The heaven is called Arabot, it's one of the higher heavens. Yashemon, his holy name Yudke, Fanab, and sing and praise to him, the great God that is Avi Yetomim, the father of orphans, Vidayan Almanot, and the judge that judges Almanot. And this is referring to uh, the Jewish people that were compared to Yetomim as orphans when our enemies are coming against us, and God helps the Yetomim, which is us, Dayan Almanot. And he helps the Jewish people that are like an abandoned widow. Elohim b'mon kocho. God does that from his uh, place in heaven. Elohim moshiv yehidim ba'ita mosi asirim b'kosharot achsolim shachenu sechicha. So here, uh, the pasuk is telling us Elohim, God, moshiv yehidim ba'ita. Now Rashi says, Yisrael shehayu mefuzarim the Jewish people that were scattered in the different places, Kansam Yahad, Borei Olam gathered us together, and he brought us to either Eris Israel or to our, uh, or to in Mitzrayim, he took us out of Mitzrayim, the Jews were scattered all over Egypt, and Borei Olam brought us all together, Mosi Asirim, he took the captives, Asir is somebody that's captive, Bakosharot, now Bakosharot means in a favorable season. When did he take us out of Mitzrayim? Bakosharot, when the weather is perfect. It's spring weather. 
It's not too hot, it's not too cold. So Mosi Asirim, where Olam took the captives out of Mitzrayim, Bakosharot, in a, in, a, in, a, in a favorable time. However, Achsoririm, regarding the Egyptians themselves, Shekhenu Sihiha, they remained in their barren, dry, destroyed land. So God took us out, and the enemies remained behind. Gemaraz Doresh on this Pasuk, a few things I want to tell you the Dirashot. Bakosharot could mean also that uh, God uh, took us out of Egypt, Bechi Veshirot, with crying and with song. So Bakosharot is a combination of two words, Bechi and Shirot. How does that work, Bechi Veshirot? So just playing with this, that is. Bechi veshirot could mean, let's try this way. Yeah, that's probably better. Bechi veshirot means that the Egyptians were crying and we were singing. Bechi for the Egyptians and shirot for the Jewish people. The Hatam Sofer explains it a little differently. He says that the Egyptians were crying and they were singing. They were crying at the time of Makat Bechorot, and then when finally when the Jewish people left, they were happy that they got rid of us. So therefore the, the singing and the crying was all the Egyptians themselves. Now that's the way the Gemara learns this pasuk is referring to before Matan Torah, when we left Mitzrayim. However, the Gemara's Doresh over here, a famous Dirashah, that God takes uh, people that are single, Yechidim, and he re- removes them from their single bachelorhood or bachelorettehood, and he puts them together, and he makes zivugim. Mosi Elohim Moshi Yehidim Baita. He takes Yehidim and he puts them together so they could build a <coughs> build a house. And the famous midrash on this is told that uh, one time one of the rabbis uh, there was a, it's a midrash. It says one of the Roman ladies came to the biyoseh, and he said, "Now that God created the world." And he's finished creating the world. What does he do all day long? You know, how does God keep uh, how does God keep busy? And uh, you know, we keep busy. I mean, God can keep busy. But that was a question that she asked the rabbi, and the rabbi answered that, uh, "Oh, he's busy making zivugim. He's busy making matches all day long. You know, this one will marry this one. This one will marry that one. So he's a shadchan." So uh, she thought that that was a very you know, menial job. She says, that's what he's doing. I could do that. You don't need God to make Shidduchim. And the B.U.S. says, yeah, go try. <clears throat> so she went the next day, and she had slaves. So she took 50, you know, male slaves and 50 female slaves and took them into the room and says, you marry him, you marry him, you marry him. And the, the next day she came to the rabbi. She says, I made 50 marriages in one day. Well, what's the big, uh, what's the big to do? The next day, the 50... Uh, couples came and they all had bruises all over them and they were all beaten up and they were all, uh, you know, bruised. So she said, what happened? She says, well, and I don't get along with him and he doesn't get along with me. And the first night already they were killing each other, as they say. <clears throat> then she realized that it's not so easy to put, put people together. It's not just, you know, telling this one, you live with that one, you live with that one. <clears throat> it takes divine wisdom in order to attach and connect the shamot which is a very, very important lesson that the Gemara is teaching us, that uh, although it looks like we're you know, bringing, putting the matches together, it's really not. God is doing it from above. Ultimately, these are souls that are being matched. What do we know about matching souls? You know, we have no idea. We match according to compatibility. But even if there might be compatibility, that does not necessarily mean that the Neshamot are, are connected. Therefore, Kadosh Baruch Hu is the one that's ultimately mezaveg, zivugim. And from this pasuk, the Gemara is questioning, why does it mention the concept of marriage in the context of when we left Egypt? So from here the Gemara says, because the simple pshat of this pasuk is talking about when we came out of Mitzrayim. Why are shidduchim and zivugim mentioned in relationship to when we came out of Egypt? And the Gemara says famously that uh, putting couples together is as uh, difficult as Kiryat Yamsuf, as the splitting of the sea. And uh, this is a big, big subject because uh, 
the Gemara is making an analogy between couples getting married and splitting of the sea. I never really understood it fully because it's not a good analogy. Splitting of the sea is dividing something. Marriage is putting things together. So, I mean, you couldn't find a better analogy. There's nowhere in Jewish religion that we talk about putting two things together. Why would we compare putting uh, two couples together or two, two individuals together to something that was divided? Many explanations subsequently I saw. I will just tell you the one that to me is very, very uh, appropriate and it's based on the Kabbalah. The Kabbalah says that before we come down to this earth, we are in the heavens as souls. We don't have a physical body. Uh, you, never, you didn't look like this always. Uh, we didn't have a body at all. We were just totally spiritually, spiritual, it's in the Shema, and that's probably in the Kisei Kavod. It's a very high level, and that's where the souls remain. And at that point, Borei Olam takes souls, and he matches them. Before they became bodies, he takes a male soul, he takes a female soul, and he fuses them together. Maybe you heard even somebody once say they're soulmates. There's truth to that, because God initially takes the souls and he connects them together. So the marriages, when they say marriages are made in heaven, it's true because the initial marriage of a person is actually made in heaven by God himself when he fuses the neshama. Now based on who he puts together, so that's ultimately who the person will connect with in this world, hopefully. Then God separates the souls. Uh, Usually, let's say, if the man is older than the lady, which happens a lot of times, doesn't always have to happen, so we'll separate the souls, and I'll send the neshama of the man down. Now it's trickling down the worlds. And it comes down from the upper world called Atzilut, and then it goes to Biriah, then to Yitzirah, and then it comes down to this world, which is called Asiyah, and then it takes on a physical body. Once it takes on a physical body, let's say the neshama lands in New York. Okay, so you have a boy living in New York. Now, his soulmate is still in heaven. She didn't come down yet. Three years later, Borom takes the female soul and throws it down also. Now, sometimes she can land as his next-door neighbor. Sometimes she can land in California. The, the trick now is to try to reunite these souls that were originally connected. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in his infinite way, has a way to make sure that the souls will uh, connect. Uh, the guy will be in business in California, and all of a sudden they'll have a friend, oh, has a girl. Borom uh, Olam has his ways, everybody knows stories how people met, but that's the magic of the reunification of the soul. So every time a person gets married, it's really, uh, in, in a sense, a second marriage. Because the first marriage was done in, in heaven, and the second marriage is a reunification of those souls uh, under, the, under the chupa. Uh, so based on that, I think the analogy of Kiryat Yamsuf is perfect. Because if you look at Kiryat Yamsuf, how did it start? It started as a yam, it was connected, it temporarily separated, and then went back to being whole again, which is exactly what happens in Shaduchim. The Neshamot are originally one, temporarily they're separated, that's a splitting, and then they come back together as one. So uh, the analogy is actually perfect. It's giving you the three stages of wholeness, temporary separation, and then wholeness and connection again. That's why the Gemara would compare it to Kiryat Yamsuf. There's other interpretations that are also uh, you know, worth our consideration. We had a, a guy in Lakewood, I studied in Yeshiva, and when I got to the dormitory, uh, he was there before me already learning in Yeshiva, and I noticed on the walls there was marks. It's like somebody drew, like, you know, tally, one, two, three, four, and then like a five, and then a lot of them. Okay, the fact that they're writing on the walls was surprising in the first place to me, but I guess that was what they did. And uh, when I saw, but I didn't know who was doing it. Who was the culprit that's writing on the walls? One night I was lying in my bed late at night, and the guy walked in, happened to be my roommate, and he took out a black magic marker, and I see him making a tally on the wall. So I told him, David, what are you doing? <laughs> he says, listen, these are how many girls I dated. So every time he goes on a date and you know it doesn't work out, he makes a 
So then I feel bad for the guy. I counted 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. This guy is unbelievable. We're, we're, we're running out of wool. So, uh, so um, and then, of course, one night he came home and uh, he was all dressed up properly and he had a smile on his face. He got a red magic mark and he put a check and he told us he got engaged. So it ended up good, thank God. So I always wondered, this guy, my friend David from Lakewood, he had a very long road. You know, in, in, in getting married. It took him, you know, 30, 40 dates. Uh, and then others, you know, first girl, and uh, when I got married, it's the first girl I met, and that's it, I got married. So why, why does that happen? Why does that happen? So the analogy of Kiryat Yamsuf, I think, is very, very fitting, because if you know anything about Kiryat Yamsuf, I hope you didn't watch the movie, because if you watch the movie, you're going to be corrupted. In the movie, they just show you that the sea split like this. It's not what happened. What actually happened was, there was 12 lanes, and uh, yeah, there were 12 lanes, and it wasn't a straight lane because the Jews actually entered one side and came out the same side. They made what's called a U-turn. Yeah, they went in and they went out. Because there's no way to go straight. There's no way to go straight. They went back to Egypt and they traveled to, towards the Midbar, towards Israel. And then the Egyptians followed them in and then the waters came on them. But we just came right back to where we were. It was a U-turn we made. That's the way Hazal learned Kiryat Yamsuf. And there's 12 lanes. So if there's 12 lanes, that means there's an outermost lane, and then there's an inner lane, and an inner, and an inner, and then you get to the, the innermost lane. Now, it's very clear that depending on which lane you took, that's how long it took to get, to get across. Now, clearly, if you were in the outer lane, you'd have to go all the way around, which was the furthest distance. Now, if you were in the inner lane, he just went right across back on the other side. So they're saying that marriage is like Kiryat Yamsuf. It depends what lane you're in. That some people, it takes longer in order to get to the Zivug, but they'll get there. Because everybody got there. Even the guy that was on the outer lane, if he kept on traveling, he eventually get there. And some people, they were in the, in the lane. It's just showing that not everybody finds it at the same, at the same time. Some takes a little longer and sometimes takes a, a little short. So that's another analogy between uh, Shidduchim and uh, Kiryat Yamsuf. But there's maybe even a third uh, interpretation uh, that the Hachamim say. And it's important that we get these interpretations. They're all true. If, if God is comparing it to Kiryat Yamsuf, so I guess you have to uh, find the uh, comparisons. Uh, one time I explained it, is that uh, Shidduchim uh, a zivu, and you'll know this from your own experiences, a lot of times happen when you least expected it to happen. Uh, you know, you have people that are working and going out and they're trying and they're trying. All of a sudden it comes to them on a day that they didn't expect that, that was going to be the day. Uh, I'll just give you a classic example of that. You had, and now it's Shavuot time coming, and you had Ruth. And Ruth was a great lady, and her mother-in-law was going back to Israel, and she was really, she wasn't even Jewish at the time, but she told her mother she wants to convert. And Naomi said, you can convert, but you're not going to have an easy time getting married. First of all, I have no more children. She was already an older lady, so don't come to me. And even in Israel, <clears throat> because of you, you come from Moab, you descend from Moab, it's controversial if anybody's going to marry you, because some rabbis hold that we're not allowed to marry into that people, so... He told her that, she told her that you're probably not going to get married. And she said, I'm not, I'm not converting for marriage, I'm converting for the Shem Shammai, I'm coming with you. Fine, now she comes to Eretz Yisrael. Now they were destitute. They were so poor that they qualified for Leket Shecha Pe'ah, which is the entitlements that the poor people get. Now you have to be really down and out to, to, to qualify for that. So Naomi says to Ruth, go out to one of the fields, take a basket, and you have a right, now you're Jewish, go collect. Whatever the farmer leaves on the floor, put in the basket, God should be with you. Now, if he asks Ruth, that day when she left with a little basket to go collect, what are you doing today? She would say, what am I doing today? It's uh, not such a good luck day for me. I'm poor. Uh, we don't have what to eat. And uh, I'm going to collect uh, some wheat. And we go home and we'll make some bread. And maybe we get lucky to get uh, a couple of pitot and have dinner. So it was not, not, not such a... You know, glamorous day at all. And sure enough, she gets to a field. Now, she's, she's new in Israel, so she has no idea where she's going. You know, she's looking for a field. 
gets to a field, and she starts. Happened to be that day, the owner of the field showed up. The Gemara says the owner never shows up. He has workers. The owner usually is in the business. That day he decided to come to the field for whatever reason. Of course, the owner of the field was Boaz. And his eye catches this girl collecting the liquor uh, And for whatever reason, he saw that she has a certain, uh, a certain royalty to her. She has a certain elegance. The way she walks, the way she kneels. And, uh, she, she was very, he, he was impressed. He was an old man, Boaz. And he says to his uh, people, who's this girl over here? And before you know it, I'm making the story fast, it was from that day that eventually Ruth would end up marrying Boaz. And she would be the mother of Mashiach. But the point is, Ruth had no idea that day she was going to get married. Ruth thought she's going to collect money. She thought it was an ordinary day. But God had different plans. And that's a surprise. You know, it's not like she got dressed to go out on a date. That was not the case. She got up to go collect money to eat. But Hashem guided her footsteps to exactly where her future husband's husband's going to be. And he happened to be in the field that day. It's not happened to be. God organized that. Happened to see her. Happened to take a interest. And sure enough, it all, it all, it all ended up uh, happening to her benefit. My point is, the least... Um, when you least expect it, that's when it happens sometimes. Uh, it's, it happens by surprise. I don't, I don't come to tell you uh, stories, uh, but I know it on my own. Uh, uh, I can't say you're lucky that I'll tell you a personal story. I don't like to tell personal stories, but I think it's a Kiddush Hashem of, of the Hashkaha of God. Of, of my friends, I was from the, the, uh, the last ones to get married. Friends all got married, 22, 23. They were married already, and I was learning in yeshiva. I was very happy. wasn't uh, wasn't on my mind so much. And uh, I would I was learning yeshiva in Lakewood. And uh, Wednesday nights I would come to deal. Well, so I would tutor some boys, make some uh, pocket money so I could survive, and uh, to break up the week, put it that way. And uh, then at 10 o'clock or like 10:30, when I finished my night seder and deal, I would go to the kollel. In those days, the kolel was on Wikipedia. I wasn't over here in Long Branch. Yeah? It was on Wikipedia, the windy road. And by the time I got there, nobody was there at 10.30 at night. And I would sit there and learn. And I would learn all night, not all night, but till one in the morning, two in the morning. I'm actually doing nothing. You're learning all night. That's fine. And then the next day, I would go back to Lakewood. Uh, and this was my schedule on Wednesday nights. It happened to me one night when I was there. Rabbi Diamond uh, came into the kolel. He forgot something in his office. So when he walked in, he took the peek into the room. They said, what are you doing over here? I said, no, I came, I'm learning. He says, uh, come to the office. He said, come, come to the office, what did I do? I, I'm learning, I didn't do any Avon over here. The last time I was in the office was in Mag and David. What, 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 what do they want from me? So now, uh, he says, uh, you know, what's the story with getting married? Right away, he came at me. I said, ah. I said I'm okay, Rabbi, I'm learning. It's not on my mind. So he said, uh, are you going to put on tefillin tomorrow morning? By the question, I said, of course I'm going to put on tefillin tomorrow morning. He says, why? I said, because it's a mitzvah. He said, well, getting married is also a mitzvah. So in chess, they call that checkmate. So I couldn't really answer too much. He checkmated me in three moves. So uh, I said, okay. Well, he says, no, you can't, you can't delay this. You're learning, you're learning. It's a mitzvah, you have to get married. So... And I'm not, I'm in a shul now, so I cannot exaggerate. He got a piece of paper, and he wrote on the piece of paper, uh, Sandra Dweck. He wrote the number. He said, here's the girl you're going to marry. Okay. I said, okay, should, I, should, we, should we go straight to the wedding, or should I go out with her first? <laughs> Don't be a wise guy. Call uh, Molly, and she'll be the Shadchani, and then everybody will happily have after home. But the point is that that's a classic example where I did not intend to get married on that night. I intended to do what I always do, go to the kolay, learn, and all of a sudden, psh, that leave the fact that he was able to predict it on the first, uh, first shot, that's, that's to Rabbi Diamond's credit. But I'm just talking about the concept, how it just, it just came. If somebody would ask me on Wednesday night, you know, where are you going? I'm going to what I do every Wednesday night. I'm wearing my regular yeshiva clothes. I wasn't dressed to go out. No, but that night, God's going to put you in the right place, and he's going to come back at the right time. He's going to see you. It's going to click in his brain. And it happens so suddenly. Nobody expected it. 
So in my, my brain, I said from that, that it's the analogy to Kiryat Yamsuf. Because nobody expected Kiryat Yamsuf to have happened. You know, if you're standing at Yamsuf, and the Egyptians are behind you, and the Yamsuf is in front of you, nobody expected uh, the sea to split. Now they knew either they're gonna walk into the sea and drown, or they expected you know, to walk back to the Egyptians and get trampled, but if you ask every single Jew at that moment, what's the next thing that's going to happen here? Nobody would have said, and that's what God does, the surprise. And the surprise was that the, the sea split for the Jewish people, and uh, when they least expected it. And that's the same thing with Shidduchim. But Alam says that when you least expect it, when you don't even have uh, you know, that in mind, it's the furthest thing from you, something what Alam says, today's the day. And all of a sudden he does things that are, that are supernatural. So it's not something that you could prepare for always, or something you must predict. You just have to be ready. Whenever It's not when you're ready, it's when God's ready. When God's ready, that's when it, that's when it takes place. So that's another interpretation. Now there's, a, there's a fourth interpretation that's, um, that's appropriate as well. And I think that is, is that uh, there's an there's a, um, old rule that Rabbi Salanta said. Rabbi Salanta said that People are born with imperfect midot. They have character flaws. Everybody has certain, you know, handicaps in their character. And he says that the purpose of life is to try to change those character traits. And of course, he 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 confesses that it's not easy. It's not easy to change. In America, they say people don't change. That, that's not true. They, what they mean to say is uh, it's difficult for people to change. Rabbi Salanta said it that. Even to change the smallest trait, it's easier to learn the Babylonian Talmud than to even change the smallest trait, let alone big traits. Now, one trait that obviously is important in marriage is that one has to break their, their nature. And the nature of, of humans is to be selfish. That's, uh, you know, me, myself, and I, everybody's worried about themselves, and especially bachelors and bachelorettes they're the most selfish because they don't have anybody to worry about. They just worry about themselves. And everything revolves around them. Uh, when a person is living at home with their parents, they're just taking. They don't, they're not giving anything. They're just taking everything and everything's being paid for and they don't have to really do too much responsibility. Now that has to change once somebody, when you get married. Then you have to break that nature. You probably shouldn't work on it the moment you get married. You probably should be working on it before. But the, the mode has to change from becoming a, a taker to becoming a, a, a giver. That's, that's for sure. So therefore, I once said that uh, at, at a wedding ceremony, we break a glass. There are many reasons why we break the glass, but one reason is because a glass is a receptacle. And what's the function of a glass? To receive. You, know, you, you put things in it and it receives. And therefore... Uh, the glass doesn't give. You you have to pour the glass to you, but the glass itself passively just, just takes. And therefore, at the wedding ceremony, the hatan breaks the glass to say that I'm breaking the, the nature of a glass. I'm breaking the nature of taking. I'm no more a taker. Now I'm getting married, I'm going to have to start giving. So we're breaking the, the glass with symbols, symbolizes breaking, going against the nature. Now if you take the numerical value of the word kos, it equals 86. Now, the numerical value of the word nature in Hebrew, hateva, he, tet, bet, ayin, hateva, equals 86 as well. So the purpose of marriage is to break the teva. You're breaking the glass, but you have to break your nature and go against uh, exactly, you know, what, what, you, what you're used to. You have to turn from being a, a, a selfish person to being a more selfless person. So that's the breaking the, the cost, which is a receiver, and cost is gematria hateva, which then, if that's the case, then... It's perfect because what's the purpose of, 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 of Kiryat Yamsuf? Kiryat Yamsuf, God broke the nature. The nature of a Yam is to be cohesive. The nature of a Yam is to be one. And Bori Olam made a miracle and broke, went against the nature of the world and separated the Yam in order for the Jewish people. So that's the connection between the splitting of the sea and marriage. It's just like the splitting of the sea took a supernatural, uh, super, uh, above nature, Miracle, uh, when a person gets married, he cannot follow his natural tendencies, which sometimes are not the best tendencies. He has to follow and go against it, like Borelam broke his broke the nature, and you have to establish better midot. So uh, 
my point is, if the hachamim compared it to yamsuf, so then already uh, there has to be, uh, you know, some. Uh, if I want to explain it according to the Kabbalah, which I did already in my, my first explanation, I mean, there's so many interpretations. One interpretation I once heard is that um, if anybody knows what happened at Yamsuf, uh, it says they got to Yamsuf and the Egyptians were behind and the water was in the front and the Jews needed a miracle. And the prosecuting angels in heaven started to prosecute against the Jewish people, to God, and said, they don't deserve a miracle. You know, they, they, they worshipped Abu Dazara in Egypt. The Jews are not such sadiqim, and therefore, why should you save them and drown the Egyptians? So there was a lot of prosecuting against us at that moment over there, and thank God he didn't listen to them, and he, he saved us. But it, it wasn't, wasn't easy. Well, the Olam was fending off the prosecuting angels. Uh, the Midrash says, and they had good claims. Halalu of the Abu Dazara, halalu of the Abu Dazara. You know, well, the Egyptians worship Abu Dhabi, the Jews weren't. We were on the 49th level of Tumas. So we weren't, you know, the Lamed Vav Sadiqim. So the prosecutors were saying, drown them as well. And Buri Olam didn't listen. So what do we see at Yamsuf? There was prosecution. There was people talking. There was, and which tried to sabotage it. I will tell you something about Shinduchim. And when couples go out, there's a lot of time sabotage that take place. Uh, you know, all of a sudden uh, somebody will say something and it throws a snag into the shidduch all of a sudden. And, uh, somebody will call and say, oh, you, know, uh, you know, the parents, uh, they, 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 they do this, they do that. Or, but it's, it's just, uh, it's a ketru. And if that happens in the shidduch, you have to know that that's, uh, that's something that happened at Yamsuf as well. And uh, ultimately, the, the tradition has to say that if the sabotage worked, that means it wasn't meant. And if, if, if the sabotage didn't work, then it was, but it happens, because that's what happened at Kiryat Yamsuf. There's going to be people that uh, say things and the people that stick their two cents in, and all of a sudden the Shidduch was, that was going very well, all of a sudden now falls off track because of you know, some, some statements of people. And that's another analogy to, to give the buyer beware. That's the nature of the game. You know, there's a, there's, it looks like it's going good, and all of a sudden the you know, the criticism or the critique comes in and it gets, uh, it gets derailed. Okay. If it gets, if, if it, and if it stays derailed, in Arabic they say, more nasif. And if, it, if, if it's able to get back on track, then they say, okay, see that? It was meant. So therefore, it doesn't matter what, what the person can say. And that's really what happened in Kerat Yamsuf. It was meant for the seed to split. So therefore, it didn't matter what the Mekatrigim uh, said. And finally, I will tell you that although we say that uh, the marriage is, it's made in heaven, it's Menashamayim, so. It's God's business. But if you remember that when they got to Kiryat Yamsuf, it says that God already had programmed from the creation, when he created the sea, it's almost like he set a timer. He said that on the uh, 21st day of Nisan, uh, at uh, 5 o'clock in the morning, the sea is going to split. So he set the timer. So it was all programmed already from the beginning of the creation. So when the sea split, it was already something that was predetermined a long time ago. But it says that when they got there, they started praying. And the rabbis asked if it was predetermined, what do you have to pray? And from here we learn that even though things are mena shamayim, but for the things that are predetermined in shamayim to happen, you need to unlock it. And the way it's unlocked is through prayer. So the same thing in shiduchim, even though you say it's mena shamayim, it was predetermined. God said this one's going to marry that one, this one. But just like Kiriyat Yamsuf needed tefillah, in order to, you know, bring it, bring it to, uh, 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 to effect. So the same thing in Shinduchim. That's why prayer is a very, very uh, important element. When you see the, you know, the Hatan, today you see the Hatan Mikala, they, 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 they're shuckling under the Hupan, they're praying. But, you know, they're, they're really, they're, they're, it's okay already. They, they really, the shuckling has to be done before the Hupan. You know, before they, once they found it, okay, you found it. Now, now ready, just uh, pay attention to the rabbi who's performing the ceremony. But nonetheless, the, the main the main tefillot should be done, obviously, before in order to find. So if I gave you uh, five or six uh, different interpretations, and that's based on this pasuk in the Tadim. Now, we get to the, now we got to get to Har Sinai. So we're, st- we're still in Egypt. So we just came out of Egypt in this chapter. The sea split, and Elohim, uh, Besetecha 
God, when you came forth in front of your, your people, when you came out of Israel, the Pasuk says that, not that they saw God, but it says God was in front of them. They saw a fire. So God was in front of the people, and the Jewish people followed that fire, which was like a guide that took them out of Egypt, like a GPS. So Elohim when you set forth in front of your people, Shimon um, when you uh, when you set forth uh, the steps of the Jewish people in Yeshimon. Yeshimon is the uh, the desert, and over there you showed us that you were going to be with us. Now this is a hadush over here that. The Torah is telling us that when we got to Har Sinai eventually, now we didn't get to Har Sinai immediately. It took us three months to get to Har Sinai. We left Egypt in Nisan. We didn't get to Torah until Sivan. And I think there is a reason why this chapter talks about marriage and talks about Har Sinai as well, because there's a connection between the two. Har Sinai is the national marriage between us and God. So in the chapter, it talks about the personal marriages that we have in our own lives. And then it talks about you know, the marriage that happened at Har Sinai. And in the analogy, God is the Hatan, and we're the bride. And the, the, the location, it was a location wedding. It, was, it wasn't in Shari Siyon either. It was, in, uh, it was at Har Sinai. We're going to have to discuss that location in a minute because... Uh, it's not such a fancy location, let's put it that way. I mean, God, who is the creator of the world, I mean, and all locations belong to him, uh, so he could have chose anywhere. He could have done it in, uh, you know, uh, some one of the seven wonders of the world. And Har Sinai is actually a very, let's say, a dull place, but, you know, compared, let's say, if you could do it in the Pierre Hotel, this is like a Holiday Inn. And God definitely could afford more than the Pierre Hotel. So why would you do it in a Holiday Inn, to give the analogy? I mean, Har Sinai is not such a, you know, she-she place to do anything. But that's where God chose. We're going to have to see in a minute why God picked out of all the places. But what happened at Har Sinai, it says, is Eris Ra'asha. It says there started, the ground started to shake. There was like earthquakes, which means the whole world knew that something was happening. On the day that we got the Torah, now of course we were there, so we knew what was happening, but the people in China, well, there was no China maybe then, but wherever they were, the earth was, was trembling. So everybody knew something was up, and they didn't have WhatsApp, so they couldn't, uh, and they couldn't take you know, selfies at Har Sinai and send it on the internet. But the point is, they, they knew that, and then they heard the voice of God. Because the voice of God started to you know, bellow throughout the world. And then it says, Af shamayim natifu. And then all of a sudden it says, the heavens started to pour rain down. And it happened at Sinai. Now, what's the rain? You have to remember, ladies, this is an outdoor wedding. And there was no tent. And you also have to know that, you know, we can't control the rain. So when we make an outdoor wedding, there's always the risk. You know, you gotta look at the weather forecast. But when God makes a wedding, God controls the rain. So why would God make it rain on an outdoor wedding that he's... And it's his wedding. And he controls the rain. So I mean, it's, uh, it, it makes no sense that why would they be Geshem the Davot? Why would God bring, you know, uh, uh, Geshem at Har Sinai? So we need to go back to the... Uh, to what the Hachamim come along and say that when we got to Har Sinai, all the Jewish people were there, and all of a sudden we heard God's voice. It's the only time humans ever heard the voice, you know, with the ears. And it was, it was too much. The frequency was too strong. The vibrations were too strong. And they couldn't handle it. And after the first couple of words, they died. There was a, about a, ma- a mass casualty event. You couldn't even call Hatzalah because they died also. That's it. Every, all the Jewish people now were lying in the Midbar, dead. There was nobody alive. And uh, the angels came to God and said, what are we going to do over here? We got to give the Torah. So Bore Olam at that point sent a rain down. That's the rain that we call, really it's a dew, D-E-W, the dew of resurrection. 
Just like when Mashiach comes, it says God's going to send down a special uh, do, like it says, Tal Orot Talecha, a certain uh, Tal, and that Tal resurrected the Jewish people, and therefore they told Moshe, we cannot tolerate hearing this from God, it's too much for us. You say it to us, and we'll, you know, you translate it, we'll hear it from you. So there was a resurrection. So that was the rain. It was not a rain of, uh, you know, a rain out. It was actually a very pleasurable rain that actually brought the people back. Now, based on this, it answers a big question. I know your ladies pray the Amidah. Uh, in which Berachah do we mention Murid HaTal? In the second Berachah of the Amidah. Now, what's the main uh, theme of the second Berachah of the Amidah? Baruch Hashem HaMetim. It's talking about the resurrection of the dead. Now, why would we mention Murid HaTal in the Berachah that talks about Mechayim Because that is one of the functions of this special Tal. The Tal has the ability to bring back the people. And therefore, God on that day, Geshem de Davot, it was a very pleasurable rain, Tanif Elohim. Now, Tanif also means like a fan. Tanif is to wave. That, you know, when somebody's faint, they take a fan and they... They go like this in order to give them air. So it says the angels then came to the Jewish people, the Har Sinai and Tanif. They were waving in order to give them air, in order to bring them back. It was for your for your sake, for your for your people. You established them and you brought them, you brought them back. Now we have to really ask the question the following. Why the delay? I'll explain my question. God's the Hatan. We're the Kala. Now I do understand why on earth when there's a marriage, when a couple gets engaged, they don't get married the next day. Because there's, you know, preparations. You get the hall, and you have to get a gown, and you have to make the prayer, the swanny, whatever it is. There's, there's things that have to be done. Even if you have all the money in the world, it's a there's preparation that has to be done. And then, uh, then you make the wedding. But in God's case... I mean, we came out of Egypt, let's say in Nisan. Okay, now we left Egypt. So, give the Torah the next day. No, you have to wait 50 days, which, which is the days that we're in now, by the way, between Pesach and Shavuot are the days that we were waiting to get married. Now, is, is, it, is it a monetary concern? It God's the Hatan. The bride is here, the Hatan is there. So what, why couldn't God uh, just marry us and give us a Torah? Which that's what I thought would have happened. We came out of Egypt, let's say the 21st of Nisan. God should have told us, okay, you're free now. Tomorrow morning, meet at Har Sinai, and uh, we'll get the Torah. It's a very strong question. Says the rabbis called Olahima Kadosh, that don't think for a minute it's because God didn't want. He wanted. The Hatan was very interested, and the Hatan was very capable. And from God's standpoint, he would have done it, boom, the next day. But the bride wasn't ready. What does it mean the bride wasn't ready? Ladies, listen to something that's magnificent from Morah HaKadosh. He says that the Jewish people were in Mitzrayim for 200 years. And they had a lot of Tum'ah. They had a lot of impurities. And we know that a bride cannot get married until she purifies herself in the mikveh from her impurities. And says the Rav, that a normal bride needs seven days. And then she can go to mikveh, and then she can be pure. But in this case over here, the Tum'ah was so strong, seven days wouldn't be enough. You needed seven weeks. And, and a regular bride, she's an individual. For an individual, seven days is enough. But for a nation, which is a collective Tum'ah, you need seven weeks. So the Mikubalim learned that the seven weeks between Mitzrayim and Har Sinai were actually seven weeks of a kala preparing the seven days or the seven weeks on her impurity to make herself fit and suitable for the, for the hatan. It's a very, very different way of learning. So God said, I'm ready, but the bride isn't ready. Prepare yourself for seven weeks, get the tum'ah out of your system. The night before Matan Torah, you go to the mikveh, and the bride will come under the chupa like she's supposed to be. So, <coughs> it's not because 
Borei Olam was delaying. It was something that needed to be done because of where we came from. What is this? Yes, a big, big asset. Big asset. The God gave us a chance to purify. But watch how, how beautiful this is. When do we start counting the 49 days to Matan Torah? <clears throat> if you know, I, mean, I don't think you ladies count the Omen. But if you know when we start counting, we start counting on the second day of Pesach. Now, I don't understand. I, I got it that you got to count 49 days, seven weeks, which is like the seven days of Nida, and you got to go to the Mikveh to prepare. I, I, I'm, all, I'm, all, I'm very good. But I don't understand. So start counting the day we left. So there is a delay over here. We didn't start counting until the second day. Why? So consider this a refresher course in the laws of family purity. With all the respect, I'm at the modesty that I'll keep in my words without being so explicit. But we know that when a lady has to count seven days for her purity, she cannot count a day as one on the day that she still sees. She has to stop seeing completely, and then the next day is a total clean day. That's the law. If she sees on Monday, she cannot have a clean day on Monday either. The clean day will begin on Tuesday. That's a simple example. That's all I have to say. So therefore, the Rabbi Rahmakur says something amazing. The day the Jewish people left, they were still in Egypt on that day. So that's a day where they were impure part of the day. So the Zion Nikim cannot start until the following day. They couldn't count day one. Because day one, when they woke up, they were still in Egypt. So that's the day that they saw. But the day that you see, you can't count. So they had to wait till the following day after already they were out. Now you can start counting. So it's really a, an analogy to the to the to the to the I'll, I'll say even one one step further if you allow me. Uh, the Gemara says that that after uh, a person uh, purifies, the lady purifies herself. Beautiful in the Hatan Vekala, There's an old tradition that says that. When a lady uh, conceives, and she gives birth. So the tradition, I guess it's a biological tradition as well, is that when a lady uh, is nursing, so the dam nida will not uh, uh, come. As a general rule, there's exceptions, of course, but it's a it puts a, a suspension on nida, on that blood. The question is why. I don't know what Harvard says. You go, go, go ask what the geniuses at Harvard have to say about this, but I know what the Torah says about it. The Torah says something amazing. Dam na'asa halav. That the milk that the lady is nursing, that actually is a is from the dam. The dam now, instead of being dam, becomes, uh, you know, changed into... Uh, so that's where it is. It's, 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 it, it turns into milk. So based on this, the Mefarshim say... Where our custom comes from eating milk on Shavuot. Because we went from the Tumah of the Dam, and after we counted seven weeks, now the bride was ready. Now there's no more Dam. Now we married a Kadosh Baruch Hu, and Hakemi were giving us a name, is Dam Na'asa Halab. That the Dam became now Halab. So there's a name, is that this Halab, which is pure now, pure, the Halab is white, it's pure. That originally was the, the Dam Nidam, but by Matan Torah already we were purged into, and that's the cheesecake that the Ashkenazim have over there. That's the demis of the you know, Dam Nasa Halab that they, that they have. That's when the Syrians have the Katsonis also. That's the demis as well. Okay, that's a, that's not. But now the question is <clears throat> why did God choose Har Sinai? So let's continue for a minute. I want to uh, bring you to the uh, Pasuk. Few things regarding Matan Torah in this chapter. Look at Pasuk Yud Gimal, another item. Malches Vaot Yedodun Yedodun. Hachamim tell us that when we got to Har Sinai and we heard the voice of God, besides the fact that they died, but there was such a um, an energy. It was like a tsunami of, of, or a, a twister. 
we were thrown back. God forbid if there's an explosion, so people get thrown back. The voice of God was with so much reverberation that we were sent back 12 mil, which is like uh, you know, 12 miles. And it says that, so now we needed uh, we need to get back to Harasinai. So after the dew came down and revived us, it says the angels came and took us by the hand and uh, walked us back like a, like a mother holding a toddler. And they're walking back, yidodun. So the angels of God, yidodun, yidodun. Yidodun means, yidodun means they, they, they held us uh, and they uh, uh, helped us, let's say, walk uh, with some assistance back to Har Sinai. That's another another item. Now look at the pasuk Tetzayin. Uh, Har Elohim, the mountain of God, which is Har Sinai, Har Bashan, Har Gavnunim Har Bashan. Lama Terasedun Harim Gavnunim, Har Hamad Odin Neshufto Apadmai Yishkon Danesa. So the Midrash on this on this pesukim says. Something you might have heard before, but I want to add something that's beautiful. The Pasuk says like this. The Pasuk says, and I quote, Har Elohim Har Bashan. Rabbi Natan Omer, when God wanted to give the Torah to the Jewish people, I'm reading from the Midrash Shohartov, there's a mountain called Carmel. It's in Spain. Don't tell me you were there. It's not there anymore. But it was there at the time of Matan Torah. So Carmel, now I don't think the mountain actually came, but the angel in charge of Carmel came to God Tabor mebet elim. There's another mountain called Tavor. Ze shneemar bekabbalah. Okay, quotes the pasuk. So it says, Alai naeshet shechina. Each mountain said, "We should be the location." Now these were illustrious mountains. These were mountains that were name brand mountains. So they were vying for the contract. So they came in front of God. They said, it's like a party planner. They came in front of God. So we know you're making a wedding. And you know, we have good, uh, we have good talent. And we want, we want to do the wedding. So these two mountains came to God. And uh, they said, the wedding should be by us. We're, we're the tallest of all the mountains. And not only that, And even when the Mabul came, it was such a high mountain that the Mabul couldn't even cover it. So, what does God say to these two mountains? Because you're so tall, that's what disqualifies you. And God was teaching the mountains a very important lesson. Now, when it comes to Torah, we're not looking for the arrogant mountain. We're not looking for the tall mountain, for the obnoxious mountain, we're looking really for somebody that's more, uh, you know, uh, not so uh, uh, famous or not so, not so apparent, not so known. So God says to the mountain something beautiful. Listen, you get credit for wanting to have the Torah on you. Even though you're disqualified because you're too tall, but you know, A for effort. The fact that you came forward and offered to have the wedding by you, I'm going to reward you. You came to give me respect. I will reward you. You know, Mount Tavor, if you study the Torah's story about Devorah, Devorah was a leader. And she had a victory, and the victory was at uh, Har Tabor. And Carmel was a famous mountain now that's in Israel. We moved from Spain to Israel. And it's in Israel now, and that's where Eliyahu Hanavi made a big miracle on top of that mountain as well. So they got paid back. 
So now, when God was ch- trying to give the Torah, it says, Lama teratzedun. So the Gemara says, Lama ladun im Sinai. The other mountains were fighting with Har Sinai to say, Who are you? You're nothing. You don't deserve to be. The other mountains were trying to say as if they're the ones that the uh, Shekhinah should be placed on. Harim Gavnunim. Now, Gavnunim, if anybody learned Parashat Emor, which is this week's parasha, we learned about the blemishes of a Kohen. And one of the blemishes of the Kohen is Giben. Giben is a hunchback. And therefore, they were saying, Harim Gavnunim, that all of you are like hunchback compared to Sinai. Meaning you all handicapped compared to Sinai. That's what God answered. Harim Gavnunim, you are like a Giben. Ahar Hamad Elim Neshivto, El Ritzoni Ela Besinai. God says, I only want Sinai. Shu shafil mikulechim. So that's a, 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 a very, very important uh, uh, lesson when it comes to Torah, that Torah and humility actually go, go together. That probably explains why Moshe was chosen to be the giver of the Torah, because he also had the same nature of Sinai. And that's why if you look at the first Mishnah, what does it say? Moshe ki bel Torah misinai. Now, it, grammatically, it's not correct. It should say, Moshe Kibir Torah al-Sinai. He didn't receive the Torah from Sinai. He received it on Sinai. But Avchida says that he received Torah because he learned from Sinai, mis-Sinai. That just like Sinai was chosen because of its humility, because of its uh, modest nature, Moshe Kibir Torah because he learned from Sinai to also be modest. <clears throat> but now the question is, I always thought that Har Sinai was a mountain in the desert. If you asked me that last week, I would have told you that. But if you look at the Pasuk in our chapter, look at the Pasuk. It's going to be Pasuk Yud Zayin. Ahar Hamad Elohim, the Shivto. This is the mountain that God uh, desired the Shifto to rest himself on. So the Midrash says over here, what is this mountain? So he says, V'sinai mehechan ba. Listen to this. Where did Sinai come from? Well, I guess if you had a mountain in Spain that was trying to get the, to get, get the contract, you had a mountain in Tabor, so where did Sinai come from? Amara bi Yosem Haramurian Oh. There's another mountain that's mentioned in the Torah. You remember when Abraham Abinu went to sacrifice his son? So it says the, the location of that event was Haramuriyah, Mount Moriah, which is actually the Temple Mount. According to the Midrash, Mount Moriah is actually another name Har Sinai. Moriah comes from the word Moreh. Moreh is to teach. It's the mountain that, that's where we got taught the Torah. So Hara Moriah was uprooted and came actually to the desert and that becomes now the location. He says, Har Sinai Mehechan Ba. Where did it come from? Amar Biyosem Hara Moriah Netlash. It came from Moriah. Kehalam Me'isa. Like a lady takes dough, like a piece of halah from the dough. So Bani Olam plucked it, like a halah, plucked it and threw it over there. From the actual spot that Yitzhak Abinu was, <coughs> was bound. Since Yitzhak was bound and brought as a korban on that place, that's the, that's the place, uh, that's the place where Torah should be given. Now, the question is why? I mean, there must be now some sort of connection between Akedat Yitzhak and the giving of our Torah. The Pasuk is saying this is the mountain that God craved. God loves Akedat Yitzhak. And therefore he said, how do I, how do I get Akedat Yitzhak connected to Matan Torah? You know what I'm doing? I'm going to, Bring the location to the Midbar, because the Jews can't go to Israel. So they want to bring the location to the Midbar. And therefore, when Moses is standing on the mountain, he's standing on the spot where Abraham 
sacrificed his son. Most people don't know that. And the question really is why? What's the, what's the connection? So I have two th- approaches to this. Number one is that in order to succeed in religious Torah life, it takes a great deal of sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to be Jewish. Uh, you know, it's not a, I'm not saying it's not pleasurable and it's not enjoyable and it's not the best lifestyle, but it's a sacrifice. Uh, 